This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Today, I am honored to have Dr. George or Jorge Fletches, MD, MPH, Medical Director of Fletches Family Practice in Henderson, North Carolina. In addition to his family practice, Dr. Fletches' subspecialties include iodine therapy for thyroid and breast disorders, bioidentical hormone replacement for both men and women, and diagnosis and treatment of cardiac-related issues such as coronary artery disease, arterial sclerosis, and hypertension. Dr. Fletches was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico, is fluent in both English and Spanish. He majored in physics at Southern Missionary College in Tennessee and achieved both his doctorate in medicine and his master's degree in public health from Loma Linda University in California. Dr. Fletches has been in medical practice for 35 years. His experience and his devotion to the continual study of medicine allows him to diagnose and treat a wide variety of both common and not so common medical conditions. As an internationally sought after speaker, Dr. Fletches regularly lectures at medical conferences both here and abroad. His lectures have informed many doctors of new and effective treatment protocols for a wide spectrum of medical disorders. Welcome, Dr. Fletches. Thank you very much. Like a, a total nerd, I'm a huge fan of yours and I'm fascinated by the topic of iodine and um, you are really one of the pioneers um, of educating the masses about iodine deficiency, especially fellow peers and, and colleagues. Is that correct? That's correct. So uh, yeah, when I, when I say I'm honored to have you on, I'm, you know, I, I've been so excited for this interview. There's um, so many questions because as I read, and, and I think that you would probably agree, you know, I, I was interviewing this other doctor and she says, there's a lot of nutrients out there. They're not sexy. They're not getting, they're not trending right now. And yet they're so vitally, vitally important. And there's probably nothing more so than thyroid. Um, I mean, then iodine, correct? For, for every organ and cell in the body. And so um, can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, let's discuss the importance of iodine. You know, um, what I did was is that uh, I did a lot of work early on with uh, Dr. Guy Abraham. And Dr. Abraham uh, used to be a, a GYN endocrinologist on at UCLA. And uh, he was uh, director of the infertility clinics down at uh, UCLA. It's interesting that he used to um, talk about the importance of trace minerals uh, in the treatment of illnesses because a lot of trace minerals were disappearing out of the American uh, dietary systems. And one of these was iodine and uh, 
we read in the late 1990s about iodine deficiency being a source of problems with fibrocystic breast disease. Uh, up until the mid-1990s, all over North America, doctors felt that fibrocystic breast was a problem of drinking uh, coffee or caffeine products. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> there was some research work done up at, uh, at, uh, in Calgary, Canada, uh, showing that this problem of fibrocystic breast was due to iodine deficiency. So that uh, I pointed that out to him and he said, well, I think we'd better start looking to see what else is going on with iodine that we're missing. We've known for years in medicine that uh, you need iodine to uh, have normal thyroid function, but above and beyond that, what does iodine do? And uh, it turns out that uh, the human ovary is very uh, uh, high in uh, natural and iodine. And it turns out that the ovary uh, has so much iodine and the ovary is kind of like a microchasm of its own that uh, you can take and give iodine to the ovary and the ovaries can make their own thyroid hormone so that the uh, the ovary uh, has the ability to make a lot of different things, and one of them is thyroid hormone. So it's not unusual for us to find a person who comes in having hyperthyroidism, too much thyroid hormone, and the problem is not the thyroid itself, but the problem is an ovary that's overactive, and it's got a thyroid nodule or cancer inside the mm. ovary producing a lot of thyroid hormone. But the ovary can only make thyroid hormone if there's plenty of iodine. Uh, <clears throat> with uh, Dr. Abraham, he uh, started his initial searches with uh, looking at uh, the involvement of iodine in ovarian steroid production and it turns out that uh, the iodine is very, very crucial towards helping the ovaries to make, their in, uh, to make the different steroids that are necessary. And uh, in, in fact, Dr. Abraham used to, uh, he, he specialized in PMS. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, if I had to do it all over again, he said, I think I would have concentrated on iodine as the first source of PMS. Because when you give iodine to teenage girls or women who have severe PMS, that uh, the iodine helps to calm the PMS down very substantially. So, Gosh. so I mean, just, with, with, with everything that I've read and, and what you're saying right now, why does the knowledge of iodine stay on such the fringes of medicine? And really, you know, I mean, you, you kind of have to really search out. And if it wasn't, um, you know, doctors like you, we would really have no, you know, I mean, other than really going back and, and digging deep into, um, into past, past medical publications, there's, there's not that much information. It's not common knowledge. And there's a lot of misconceptions about iodine. You know, why is that? 
Uh, you know, in medicine, we have a tendency to specialize in minutia, and we forget to specialize in the big stuff. Mm. And so, uh, to give you an illustration, uh, the, the number one steroid produced by the human adrenal is DHEA. Number two steroid is pregnenolone, and number three steroid is cortisone. Yet if you ask most medical doctors about these different steroids of the adrenals, they all, the first thing they think of is cortisone. Mm-hmm. They, they never mention DHEA, they never mention pregnenolone, and they have no idea what those two steroids are doing. And yet they know a lot about prednisone and very little about the two major steroids produced by the adrenals. And so it's not unusual, even in your own vocabulary, look at the concept of, oh, I've got problems with adrenal insufficiency. Mm -hmm. And it's always in relationship to the word cortisone. You never hear about adrenal insufficiency of DHEA, never hear about adrenal insufficiency of pregnenolone. And yet it turns out that uh, in studies that have been done over and over and over again, that uh, when you look at a, let's say we look at women in general, if you do a hysterectomy, uh, does a woman lose her sex drive? And the answer is, is no. The, uh, there's plenty of women who have had their ovaries removed who uh, have uh, continued to have a sex drive. And the answer is, is that the female sex drive is driven by the adrenals and it's DHEA from the adrenals that controls her sex drive, has nothing to do with her ovaries. And so, and yet in the male, it's the gonads, it's the testicles producing testosterone that control the male sex drive. In the female, it's her adrenals that are controlling the sex drive. And yet so many people, and when you ask most doctors about do women have a sex drive and what controls their sex drive? They always sit there and say, it's testosterone. Mm -hmm. And it's based upon this misconception that the gonads are controlling sex drive when it's DHEA. Again, we specialize in minutia and we forget to specialize in the big things. And in this case, it's the, you know, it's the lack of iodine to the ovary that's causing so much you know, consternation and problems. And we tend to just forget that the ovaries are a microchasm of just about all the other uh, hormones in the body. Dr. Fletcher, when you brought up about um, treating young women with PMS symptoms, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's the number one thing, but a very common practice is if a woman has chronic PMS issues, she's put on birth control pills. Older women are put on an IUD and they, they could be using that type of synthetic hormone for years and years and years, which is just, you know, um, you know, rift with, with potential problems because they weren't really designed to be used for a decade or more, correct? And, and really right. a simple thing like iodine, I mean, it's kind of shameful that that has been so overlooked and, and even, even labeled dangerous, right? Um, 
if you don't look into it further, you could read something and go, oh, iodine, hmm, it can cause a lot of side effects. It could possibly cause goiters and other health issues. I'm just going to stay away from it because there's, there's a lot of misconception on that. Um, right. And uh, the problem is, is that um, we have uh, basically uh, been influenced by the early research that was done, like uh, a lot of the research was done at the Mayo Clinic on iodine therapy, and they figured out that the human thyroid needs about 150 micrograms of iodine per day. So therefore, the RDA for, for iodine was set at 150 micrograms. And the problem is, is that we were not aware that there are other tissues in the body that need lots of iodine, such as the human breast needs about 5,000 micrograms of iodine for, to, to remain healthy. Lack of iodine, the breast starts developing its own pathology, such as fibrocystic breast disease. <clears throat> mm. the, ovaries, the ovaries need about two milligrams or 2,000 micrograms of iodine per day. And so what uh, Dr. Abraham and I did was is that we started sat there and said, all right, how much iodine is being eaten by the different populations in the world and when you look at these populations, what diseases show up or what diseases are missing. And so we looked at the Japanese, and in Japan, the average Japanese individual eats around 13.8 milligrams or 13,500 micrograms of iodine per day. And what was interesting is, is that in Japan, there is virtually no breast cancer in, uh, in Japan. Mm. And the other thing is, is that whereas here in the United States, we have close to 30,000 men that will die from prostate cancer. In Japan, the uh, death rate of prostate cancer is about five, uh, five per year. And that is, is that iodine somehow is very protective against the ability of uh, the prostate to develop cancer and for the cancer to spread. Whereas in Japan, they just don't see it. And so, you know, so we've had to sit there and say, you know, there's something going on here that needs right. to be accounted for. And we're, and we're just not looking in the right spots. Well, I, I learned that from listening to your lectures. Um, and so it kind of begs the question, uh, okay, so let's say in a country like Japan, where they're eating a lot of fish, and they're eating a lot of kelp, and, and, I'm, and I'm assuming that's where they're getting a majority of their iodine. But then, you know, people are saying, but what about the conditions of the ocean, and especially with uh, the Fukushima um, nuclear disaster? I mean, you know, they're eating all this stuff from the sea, but what is the repercussions of the, you know, um, the, the pollutions in the sea and the, the nuclear radiation that happened after that? I, I, I think what's happening is, is that um, we have had to relook at that whole situation because Fukushima right now, uh, I don't know if you've kept up with it, but the nuclear reactor is still uh, active and that reactor is 
the internal core temperature of that, uh, of that damaged reactor is reaching close to 10,000 degrees on the inside. Every time mm. we send a robot in to take a look and see what's going on with the reactor, the robots melt because it's so hot in there. And, it's, and the Fukushima is in touch with ocean water. And as a result, there's a lot of radioactive uh, water coming out of Fukushima and that water is contaminating the fisheries of the Alaskan coast and the fisheries of the Alaskan Gulf. And uh, a lot of fish in the Northern Pacific are becoming contaminated with radioactive iodine. Mm. So, you know, or radioact radioactivity, period. Right. Now, the only, thing, the only thing that will protect us from the radiation is iodine. And the other thing is boron. Uh, boron's a trace mineral like iodine. And sometimes maybe we need to sit down and talk about boron also. Oh, I would love to. But uh, what's happening is, is that uh, iodine protects, protects against radiation. Now, look at the, look at the Japanese. Uh, their land was hit with two nuclear bombs and yet the Japanese have some of the lowest rates of cancer in the world. And it's because they're eating 13.8 milligrams of iodine per day. And they get it from the fish from the ocean and they get it from the seaweed. And the problem is, is that uh, the iodine is helping to protect them from, uh, from, these, uh, from the effects of radiation. Right. And on land and also in the sea, the iodine is protecting. If you don't have enough iodine, then the radiation will do damage. And so that's what we're looking at. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a, uh, it's, it's an issue of the fact that uh, we don't study enough about iodine to know how to manipulate the iodine to our best of health. The Japanese have, and they, as a subsequently, they have some of the lowest rates of cancer in the world even though they've been exposed to very high levels of radiation. That is very interesting. Now, I could tell if someone's listening today, I mean, this is definitely going to pique their curiosity and um, make them go, well, obviously I should start, start taking iodine. So, I mean, let's talk about one, how did we become so deficient in iodine? And two, if, we're, if someone's going to start a protocol of iodine, do they just jump in feet first, start heavy dosing with iodine? Or let's, let's kind of break it down a little bit for people so they have an understanding. So how did we become so deficient in iodine, first of all? Uh, first off, uh, the greatest areas of the United States that have the least amount of iodine is the Great Lakes region. And, uh, and it's, it happens along the areas that had the glaciers that melted and took away the iodine. Uh, there's very little iodine along the northern borders of the United States and along the West Coast area. So there's very little iodine in California, very little in Oregon, very little in Washington State, and so on. Uh, the problem is, is that the iodine has... Uh, been uh, taken away just because of the large amounts of water that hit these areas. Uh, so the areas that have the high, where there's lots of water, uh, 
the water uh, is washing away the iodine that's in the soil. Uh, now, it turns out that when we looked at the Great Lakes region, uh, let's say we're going to go back 100 years ago, in Akron, Ohio, uh, 100 years ago, and in about 1924, in Akron, Ohio, something like 56% of all the children, uh, boys and girls, had problems with goiters, enlargement of the thyroid. And we've since then looked at what other illnesses show up in the presence of goiter. And it turns out that the number one illness that shows up in the presence of goiter is breast cancer. Mm. So everywhere, and in those areas of the north, northeast uh, along the Great Lakes region that have the, um, where there's the highest rates of goiter and the highest rates of hypothyroidism, mm. uh, these areas also have the highest rates of breast cancer. It turns out that you need iodine to protect you from cancer in certain tissues of the body. A thyroid that doesn't have enough iodine gets into problems with thyroid cancer. A, uh, people with goiter have a higher rate of thyroid cancer. People with not enough iodine have a higher rate of uh, breast cancer. They have higher rates of ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, stomach cancer, and, st and cancer of the pancreas, and cancer of the esophagus. So these cancers show up more frequently in people with goiter than any other disease. And so the, uh, you know, so we have to pay attention to the fact that you need iodine to protect the body from cancer. And what's happening is, is that these cancers nationwide are going up rather than going down as we deplete the soils and we take away the iodine from the population. It used to be that we would get maybe 300 micrograms of iodine per day just because we were putting iodine as part of the solution about how to make bread. Mm -hmm. Years ago, they took the iodine out of the bread and they substituted bromide. So nowadays, you'll see brominated bread. And the problem is, is that... Uh, Whereas uh, back in the 1960s, we were getting about 300 micrograms of iodine per slice of bread. Today, we're getting close to maybe 77 micrograms of iodine per slice of bread. And the problem is, is that uh, we keep subtracting the iodine out of the population. As we do that, then we start seeing increasing amounts of medical illnesses that are showing up. Uh, one of them is if you, iodine is crucial towards development of normal brain tissue. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that when you take iodine away from a woman that's pregnant, the baby will come out with increasing uh, decreased IQ. And one of those illnesses is attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. Italians uh, showed us that about uh, 15 years ago. They did some very elaborate studies in Italy showing that ADD is a disease of iodine deficiency during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, 
you know, and you look at you look at the girls in today's world, they sit there and say, Oh, I'm pregnant. I need to straighten up my diet. I need to improve here and there. Oh, I should become an organic, you know, do organic. Mm-hmm. And then they sit there and say, Oh, the best, the best salt that I should eat should be uh, sea salt. Mm-hmm. And so they start eating sea salt. The problem is sea salt contains no iodine. And that's that's a very real problem because we go from uh, a let's say 150 micrograms of iodine per day. And when you start eating sea salt, you end up in a situation where the iodine intake is down to 30 or 25 micrograms per day. And that's, that's what sets up conditions for attention deficit disorder. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting, but you know, I mean, then it kind of brings up the question. So if someone's listening and going, yeah, I was told that I should be replacing and using more high quality salts, a Himalayan salt or a sea salt versus my iodized table salt, because I mean, there's something kind of wrong with using regular table salts, right? Even though they're iodized, they're, they're not the best for your health. That's right. And so today, in the United States, we make iodized sea salt. Mm. You see, you, you said regular salt that's got iodine in it or regular sea salt. You forgot the third category, and that is sea salt that has added iodine. That's the type of salt we need to be using. Number two is, is that if you look at the, you know, a lot of doctors will sit there and say, there's plenty of iodine in the salt of this nation, so we should not have to worry about the iodine. Problem is, is that if you were to go down and look at women shopping at the local grocery store, you're going to find out that over one half of all women in the United States cook with iodine, with salt that contains no iodine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, selling iodine, they're selling salt that has no iodine, and over 50% of women are cooking with that type of salt. Mm-hmm. Right, so, right. You know, that, becomes a, that becomes a very real problem right there. So we, we, we really need to start teaching to, when you cook, cook with sea salt with added iodine not just plain sea salt. Okay, but then I want to ask, I mean, how do you know that you're getting sufficient iodine from that? Because, you know, a lot of people are sort of, I mean, somewhat, it gets confusing about the low sodium diet, you know, um, that that could be a whole interview right there about about salts, you know, because they've been sort of demonized, haven't they? And so people will maybe use a little bit of iodized sea salt, but it won't be a sufficient amount um, that they need for of iodine. Um, if you if you look at regular salt, it's sodium mm-hmm. chloride. Right. Okay? That's a hundred percent of that salt. What you need is sea salt, which contains sixteen different types of mineral salts. So it's not just sodium chloride. There's sixteen different types of salts there, and these are trace minerals that the body needs uh, for best of health. And so, you know, you need these trace minerals. And the thing is, is that like, let's say you had hypertension. 
the doctor is going to say, you need to give up drink, you know, cooking with salt and quit using salt. That's a bad statement because you can use salt, but you can use sea salt. Mm-hmm. If, if you have high blood pressure, you can cook with sea salt and not get, and your hypertension not get worse in the presence of sea salt. Mm-hmm. Because okay. you're, cooking right. with, you're cooking with the salts of other minerals, not sodium chloride, which is the main culprit here for hypertension. Correct. What, what's your thoughts on Himalayan salt? Some people really it's, sing its praises in. Yeah, I think it's fine. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is that we need to recognize that, uh, you know, that we need to add, we need to start supplementing with iodine if we are going to do anything to help the population. There's just not enough iodine and salt to take care of the needs of the body. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we'll talk, I want to. I want to obviously discuss that the supplementing of iodine. Um, but let's talk more about on the topic of iodine deficiencies. Can you discuss halogens? Um, how are we getting exposed to them, and what is their relationship to iodine? Uh, the halogens have a tendency to uh, uh, displace iodine off of the uh, molecules that they're supposed to go to. Uh, so we have halogens like fluoride. We have halogens like uh, the, main, the main location where these halogens go to is the thyroid gland. And so you're supposed to, you are supposed to put iodine on the thyroid to make thyroid hormone. And what happens is, is that when you take fluoride, the fluoride can, mis- can displace iodine on there, and then you get a thyroid hormone that has fluoride on it instead of iodine. And it can cause, it can cause damage to the thyroid gland and uh, cause problems with potential thyroid cancer. Another halogen that is used quite frequently in our, in our system is that of bromide. And, uh, and we will see in the soft drink industry, uh, the use of bromide, uh, which is uh, a definite poison to the to the thyroid. In fact, the Czechoslovakians have been the pe- uh, the people over there have been doing research on bromide for years, and uh, what they found it was is that when there's an increased amount of bromide inside the thyroid, there's an increased risk of development of thyroid cancer. Mm-hmm. So bro, the, and so the other problem is, is that bromide is notoriously known for causing problems with such things as paranoid schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Uh, bromide is, it can also cause problems with bad breath. Bromide is a toxin to the human testicle and is a very common source of hypogonadism or hypofunction of the testicle. And uh, it's been used like that for years and years and years by the British and other companies or other countries to try to control the population as far as the birth rates of the population. Oh, geez. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they've been using bromide for that for years. And so, and bromide is uh, uh, j- 
just not a very good product. And, and they use it in the soft drink industry. Uh, namely, it's called brominated vegetable oil. Mm-hmm. And if you will pick up, go, go home and pick up a bottle of Mountain Dew and look at the ingredients on Mountain Dew and you will see the word brominated vegetable oil. That particular product, uh, Mountain Dew, came out in about 1964, and the bromide that was put in there was supposed to be a a product that was supposed to be taken out within 10 years of Mountain Dew coming out on the the, uh, scene. Here it is, 40, 50, uh, 60 years later, we still have bromide in Mountain Dew. <coughs> For those that are listening, it really isn't dew from a mountain. It's quite a toxic beverage, right? It's, right. The, the name is very um, deceiving, as, as many products are. And, you know, with, with soda also, and it's just totally different subject, all cans, unless specified, are lined with BPA. Now, that's the devil we know, you know, and uh, that's we found causes many problems. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, we when we did the original studies on iodine, uh, my son was one of these people, uh, one of the research subjects, and uh, we gave him a, a, about uh, twelve point five milligrams of iodine and asked him to do a 24-hour urine collection. When he brought me back his sample of urine, that urine should have been yellow. And in fact, half the container of urine looked like it had coffee, dark coffee in it as compared to the yellow urine. So I asked Dr. Abraham to check out the check it out and see what was causing this uh, darkness of the urine mm-hmm. and he came back and he sat there and said the urine was loaded with bromide now mm. normal bromide normal levels of bromide should be between zero and five milligram per liter okay mm-hmm. my son's bromide levels were over 300 wow from and what and we had one doctor who uh, participated in the research, and his bromide level was over 3,000. His urine, when he brought back his container, his urine looked like he brought me back a container of coffee. Wow. It was, it was that black. And I told him, I said, look, this bromide is known to cause problems with cancer. And he said, ah, who cares? You know, this is just research. Nobody can prove anything. I said, I'm sorry, but, you know, the Czechoslovakians have already shown us that bromide can cause problems with uh, potential cancer. He said, well, I'll watch for it. You know, and that was the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Six years later, he is at home. He has to go to the bathroom. And when he does, he pees out pure blood. And so that was six years after that event. And he had a, immediately had a CT scan and it showed that he had kidney cancer. Mm. And I sat there and said, you know, you know, and also on that gentleman, he, we gave him iodine 12.5 milligram per day for a whole month and then did a repeat study of his urine at the end of 
30 days of study, his output of bromide was still greater than 3,000 milligrams per day. When you give iodine, iodine displaces bromide out of the body and it forces the body to get rid of the bromide through the urine. He was urinating on average 3,000 milligrams of bromide every day while he was wow. taking iodine, okay? And what ended up happening? He ended up uh, coming down with uh, kidney cancer six years later. So luckily with my son, we caught him early. Right. So we were able to get him to come off Mountain, and you know, Mountain Dew. Oh, is that drink. what he was, I mean, your son, is that what he, he was, was drinking? drinking? He was drinking that. I told him, I said, show me where, show me where you get this Mountain Dew from or where are you getting the bromide from? He says, well, at least once a day, I go down to Taco Bell and I eat their Taco Bell food. And, and so he showed it to me and I, I scratched my head and I couldn't figure out where he was, you know, which one of those foods that he was eating was loaded with bromide. And then I said, what do you drink? He said, oh, I get the biggest container they sell at Taco Bell and it's Mountain Dew. And when I looked at the ingredients of Mountain Dew, it was loaded with bromide. And so I said, well, there's where it's coming from, you know, so mm. we had to get him off what? of it. But what about the other doctor who had the level of 3,000? What, what did you guys determine was his source? He was also drinking lots of Mountain Dew. Wow, it's a popular drink. Yeah. Uh, I well, mean, listen to this. Mm -hmm. From Nashville, Tennessee to Asheville, North Carolina, in that sector right there, the average male between age uh, 8 to 15 drinks an average of eight Mountain Dews a day. Wow. Yeah. I, okay, that's where it's all getting sold because I, I personally don't even know anyone who drinks it. But I'm... Oh, there's, there's another place that we've identified now, and that's called Gatorade. Mm. If, you look at, if you look at Gatorade... The, the quote-unquote healthy um, electrolyte sports drink that's right? filled if, with... If you look at yeah. Gatorade today... They make a citrus flavored Gatorade. Mm -hmm. And the citrus flavor is the brominated vegetable oil. Yeah. And that stuff is that stuff is poisoning the testicles of our American males, especially all of our football jocks and so on. They're drinking that stuff by the gallon and it's poisoning their testicles. As a result, look at what's happening. Look at the problem that we're seeing in the nation mm -hmm. that is is that the amount of sperm being produced by mm -hmm. males today on average is down a few hundred thousand as compared to the, what they were a few years ago oh my gosh the sperm count is yeah. dropping and it's all because we're poisoning the testicles with bromide um, at, a, at an alarming rate. I mean, uh, I guess, uh, according to the World Health Organization, men today would be deemed infertile compared to a decade earlier. Um, That's correct. It's now, a, it's a very uh, real problem. 
it's a huge problem, especially with all the cases of um, unexplained infertility, where the focus is, you know, primarily on the women. Men are men are sort of excluded from that, and a lot of times they're the culprit. Um, now, let's talk about, um, you know, there there's a lot of talk when when you start looking into iodine about using um, iodoral or Lugol's iodine, and um, I guess the the question is, I mean, can you just jump right in and start dosing yourself? Is there any, is there anything you should be thinking about? Um, are there co-nutrients that need to be accompanying the iodine? What about salt flushing protocol, et cetera? Um, can you walk what us we, through that a little? What we have found is, is that uh, the thyroid gland uses a multitude of different vitamins and minerals to make thyroid hormones. Mm -hmm. uh, number one is obviously iodine, but in order to make thyroid hormone, you also need zinc. And in the United States, 60% of the population is zinc deficient. So that's, that's, you know, we know that in the United States right now, about 93% of the population is iodine deficient, but in zinc, it's 60% of the population mm -hmm. is zinc deficient. And you need zinc to be able to make thyroid hormone. The other one is vitamin A, the uh, yellow pigment, uh, pumpkins, squash, uh, cantaloupe. Uh, the yellow pigment, the beta carotene, is converted into vitamin A. And you need vitamin A to be able to make thyroid hormone. You need selenium uh, to make thyroid hormone. And selenium works with the iodine uh, in that regard. Of interest is, is that Dr. Walter Willett, who is uh, chairman of the Department of Public Health and Nutrition at uh, Harvard Medical School at the School of Public Health, Dr. Willett mentioned that one of the seven uh, ingredients that should be in the diet of, uh, or supplemented in the American diet uh, nationwide should be selenium. Mm -hmm. The Chinese did uh, research on selenium and they showed <clears throat> that when you supplement a population with selenium, that you decrease the rate of cancer in the population by 90%. Right now in the United States, we are in the midst of an epidemic of cancer. Mm -hmm. Cancer is today considered the number one source of death in the United States. It used to be heart disease. Cancer is now number one for that. And we can reduce the amount of cancer in the population by 90% if we asked everybody in the population to take some selenium on a regular basis. And we're talking about 200 to 400 micrograms per day. And wow, that's, I mean, that's a huge statement to make. That's, I'm sorry, I'm quoting to you straight from Dr. Walter Willett. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he's, you know, chairman of the uh, School of Public Health at Harvard. But that, he, he wrote that in a book that he uh, published on that topic. But n the rate of cancer in the population will go down 90% just by supplementing one trace mineral for the population. 
Okay, a couple things come to mind here. I mean, it, it's, it's like, if you remember a statement I made earlier, when I was um, interviewing another doctor, she goes, there's a lot of nutrients. They're not sexy. They're not something that's trending right now, like adaptogens or something, but they're vital, vital nutrients. I think selenium's right up there with them. People, I, I, I guarantee you, and I know this is a smart crowd listening, but probably 80 to 90% of people are going, I don't even know what selenium is. I don't know if I've ever even had it in my diet, which explains to me why in, uh, you know, I've been practicing now for 16 years where there's an epidemic of thyroid disorders. And I'm talking not the ones that just get diagnosed, but you, as you know, there's so many undiagnosed subclinical thyroid disorders. It's uh, it blows my mind. And, and there's no surprise why, because you're talking about these nutrients that we are so de de depleted of in our diet, right? Selenium That's being one, zinc being another, iodine you, being another. You got it. We need, we, need, uh, we need iodine. To give you an illustration, uh, from studies that have been done by the French uh, on iodine in the human body, they figured out that the human body holds an average of 1,500 milligrams of iodine. The thyroid gland by itself, maximum that the thyroid gland can hold is 50 milligrams of that iodine, what is, which is equal out to about 2%, maybe 3% of all the iodine sits inside the thyroid. What is interesting is lack, well, 20% of all the iodine in the body sits inside the skin. You need iodine to be able to sweat. And a lot of people who don't have enough iodine, when they get hot, they don't sweat. Okay? And so as a result, uh, I gave a lecture in Southern California about uh, 12 years ago. And I was talking to about a thousand people with cancer. And I said, how many of you have lost the ability to sweat? And almost 250 people stood up and sat there and said, we've never been able to sweat or we've lost mm -hmm. the ability to sweat in the last five years. And that's when I came down with my cancer. In fact, mm -hmm. I found one woman who sat there and said, I can remember at age 10 running around in my neighborhood and not being able to sweat. I just get hot, but not sweat. She said, I have since then, she said, I'm 45 years old and I've developed three strange odd cancers that have shown up in my life. And it's, she said, it most likely is due to the iodine deficiency that I've had. When she started taking iodine within six weeks, she all of a sudden started sweating. Like nothing under when you say sweating like nothing like no underarm sweat or no or, underarm sweat not even uh, a bead of sweat on the forehead but but i thought a lot of people sweat because antiperspirants are used by the masses of people and oh, i thought yeah. it was to block that sweat. that's right but there are people out there and i mm -hmm. run into those people almost mm -hmm. every day in my medical practice who when they get hot especially here in south carolina and north carolina they don't they, uh, they don't sweat. And the reason is lack of iodine. Huh. I, I, I read that as well. Um, the other thing is, is that 32% of all the iodine sits inside the muscles. 
Uh Lack of iodine to the muscles, you get problems with fibromyalgia, Mm -hmm. muscle aches and pains. Mm -hmm. 35% of all the iodine sits inside the fat cells of the body. Now, I want you to notice the following. If you are missing iodine to the thyroid, the thyroid will develop a goiter, that is enlargement of the thyroid cells. Mm -hmm. Okay? Lack of iodine to the fat cells of the body, you get big hips, big legs, all the way down to your ankles. And you'll see these women who run around, who you'll see them at the malls and mm-hmm. other places. They have these massive hips, the bigs and so on. And you're, just, you're describing, you're describing um, a huge percentage of the population. Yes, that's that. In essence, that is goiter of the fat cells of wow. the body. That I had never even heard of goiter of the fat cells. I mean, that's another name for it is called lip edema, L-I-P edema. Right. Okay. And, so that and, I've heard, and, and um, women with lip edema have the wow. exact when you do a uh, biopsy of the fat cells in their mm-hmm. body. The biopsy looks like the the biopsy of the breast tissue in women with fibrocystic breast disease. And they have the exact same pathology, except that the pathology, rather than being in the breast, it's inside the fat cells of the hips, the upper thighs and legs and so on. That's called lipedema. And when I was down in uh, the Andes Mountains of South America, I saw this quite frequently. You would see a woman especially among the indigenous people that live up in the mountains, you would see a woman with a goiter and at the same time have these problems with the big hips, big legs, and so on. And even even images of people who, uh, you know, these would be artisans who existed before Columbus came along, before 1492, the artisans of the Andes Mountains showed pictures of, they would make images of women who had goiters and also had the big hips and the big thighs and so mm. on. They, they described it in detail. And uh, I've gone to the National uh, Museum of Ecuador in Quito, and I saw images from the pre-Columbian area, era showing the exact same medical problem. And today we've got the same, this problem is still here. When you don't have enough iodine, your thighs, your hips get pretty big. And the Mm -hmm. thing is, is that, and we sit here and say, oh, they just need to exercise. Well, Mm -hmm. these girls, Mm -hmm. they're just eating a bunch of junk and. Yes, I get these girls and they come in here and they, they starve themselves. They don't eat and so on Mm -hmm. and so on. And the hips and the legs do not shrink. Why? Because you're dealing with goiter of the th- of the fat cells of the of the uh, thighs and the hips, and it's due to iodine deficiency. In Japan, of interest, you don't see that problem. Mm-mm. It's not there. What about the adipose tissue on the stomach? I mean, is that related, or is that more like a cortisol? I think that's issue? maybe more cortisol, but uh, mm-hmm. it's mainly limited to the. Uh, the hips and the thighs and the legs, uh, and we call it lipedema. 
Dr. Fletcher's, um, you know, uh, our demographic is women who are trying to conceive, but they're also a very, very conscientious of their overall health. But if you are trying to conceive, um, let's talk about iodine's role in it. And I, and I hate to be specific to fertility because you should be thinking about it as far as your overall health and not just your reproductive health, but this being the focus, let's talk a little bit about reproductive health and, and iodine deficiency. The, uh, first off, let's look at the problem of what happens in the body when you don't have enough iodine. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, is that you get increased scar tissue of the body. So in women who don't have enough iodine in the breast, you get fibrocystic breast disease, a problem of increased scar tissue in the breast. Lack of iodine to the ovaries, you get increased scar tissue around the ovary, and that's called PCOS. Mm. Now, when you, when you take, start taking iodine, iodine is toxic to scar tissue. And so what happens is, is that the scar tissue around the ovaries starts going down and these girls within a period of six months to a year start having periods almost every 28 days and their fertility comes back. Mm. In my medical practice here, we've had probably around over the last uh, 15 years, we've had about 33 women with PCOS and we've put them on iodine like 25 milligram per day. And what ends up happening is, is that of the 33 that have started taking iodine, 30 of them have gone on to get pregnant and have uh, beautiful looking children today. Nice. Now, so, I know that women listening, they're gonna say, oh, PCOS 25 milligrams are gonna run out and purchase some iodine, start dosing at that level. Can you tell us about some, um, some things to kind of be cautioned about um, of jumping up to 25 milligrams, or is there nothing to be cautioned about? I know there's, there could be some potential um, detox effects, right, of, of bromine, um, for one. There's, uh, the detox would be is, is that you start spilling uh, bromide out of the I mean bromide, sorry. Uh -huh. and, you will see, and you will see what looks like coffee coming out of your uh, body rather than yellow urine. Mm. It'll look like coffee coming out, and that's the bromide coming out of your system. Uh, you take iodine and it helps increase the fertility. So you'll see your periods uh, start coming in about every 28 days. Uh, you know that you, you know, you've got a definite iodine problem. If you came in and said, I can't sweat. My breasts get real tender just before my menstrual cycles and I have problems with infertility or I have problems with recurrent cysts of the ovaries. That right there is, I, that's iodine deficiency till proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because you're involving a whole group of different systems that are all uh, showing evidence of iodine problems. How much can you take? The average Japanese woman takes 12.5 uh, milligram but that's women that are on the thin side. If the bigger the girls are, the more iodine they need. So we now talk about 25 milligram per day. Now, mind you, if a woman has breast cancer or has cancer, 
then we start talking, we, uh, with cancer, we start talking 100 milligrams a day because iodine inhibits cancer and iodine is toxic to cancer cells. Okay. Um, yeah, I have, I, have, I have some questions about that, but that'll go on to a whole different topic because I know when um, women go through breast cancer therapy, they're told to, you know, not use anything that'll stimulate the immune system. But I think that might be for a whole other conversation. Yes, that's um, a different conversation. Yeah, that's a different uh, conversation. Now, okay. we, do have, we do have iodine in a liquid that's called Lugol solution. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Lugol's causes problems with gastritis mm-hmm. in about 20% of people. So okay. Lugol's is irritating to the human stomach, which is why we invented the iodine pills. And uh, we now have Lugo tabs and we have Iodorol and there's all sorts of iodine pills out there. And the issue is, is that we're trying to get away from the gastric irritation uh, from the iodine. Now, it's interesting, too, that uh, iodine is a stimulant to the stomach to make more acid. Lack of iodine, you get into problems with what's called achlorhydria, which explains the problem of iodine deficiency associated with stomach cancer. You you can't, if you don't make acid in the stomach, then the stomach will become cancerous. Mm. You need iodine to be able to make uh, acid inside the stomach. Mm, Okay. So there's, so there's, far, there's far-reaching therapeutic benefits of, of iodine as I'm right. learning more and more. Right. I mean, probably, probably yet to be discovered as well, right? I mean, you're constantly meeting up with, new pa- with patients, and I'm sure their experiences are kind of feeding into your you know, knowledge and experience of iodine as well. well. You know, what's interesting is the lack of historical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because when I was going through my residency training and my medical school training in Southern California, what is interesting is is that patients would come in with uh, emphysema, asthma, uh, diseases like that. And we used to give uh, a product called SSKI. Okay, right. Which is super saturated potassium iodine. Uh Uh-huh. Iodine is what they call luteolytic, which is basically, or mucolytic, which is basically saying that iodine is toxic to mucus uh, cells, and iodine helps to liquefy uh, mucus plugs. People with asthma, emphysema, and diseases of that nature suffer with plugs of mucus uh, in their lungs and they can't cough up these uh, plugs of mucus. When you take iodine, iodine liquefies mucus. Mm -hmm. Okay? So how much were we giving? Listen to this. We were giving 400 milligrams of iodine four times a day Mm -hmm. to get rid of the problems of of, uh, asthma, emphysema, uh, chronic bronchitis, et cetera. And so then you have these people that say, oh, if I take 
12.5 milligrams of iodine. That's, I'm going to get toxic. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. If you paid attention to history, you would know that 35 years ago, we were giving 400 milligrams of iodine four times a day to get rid of these medical problems that, you know, that we were being dealt with. And to think that 12.5 is toxic, that's a bunch of nonsense. Right. I mean, you know, I, I have been, uh, you know, reading some books and one book in particular has a lot of, of um, kind of testimonials. And um, a lot of people put that though they started off gradually and did salt flushing and prepared their body, once they got to 50 milligrams, it was sort of, you know, the quote unquote sweet spot for them where brain fog, um, feelings of exhaustion, et cetera, seem to um, really remedy itself. Now, one thing that we have found is, is that there is um, on the receptors to all um, hormones, on the receptor to all hormones, there is a tyrosine molecule. Mm -hmm. And when you take iodine, iodine attaches to tyrosine on these receptors. And when you do that, it increases the sensitivity of the receptor for the hormone that attaches to it. Okay. Okay. So I had a patient who came in and she was taking testosterone. Mm -hmm. And uh, her doctor told her, he said, uh, you, you know, you take as much testosterone as you need in order to take care of bringing back your sex drive. Well, normally mm -hmm. women take about two milligrams of testosterone per day. Right. And in this particular case, this lady went to 25, wow. 50, 100 was... milligrams of testosterone a day. Wow. And I said, uh, you know, you can't continue on that dosage. And she said, uh, take a look at my face. You don't see any hair. She said, you can check any place on my body. You'll find out that I'm not hairy. You don't see my voice. She said, I'm still a soprano. I, my voice hasn't gotten deeper. And I'm taking 100 milligrams of testosterone a day. Okay. And I sat there and said, you're right. You know, I can't find any evidence of testosterone in your body. You know, and she said, but it, at 100 milligrams a day, I definitely got a sex drive. She said, at 50, 25, 2, she said, I don't have any drive at all. No desire. So she stayed like that for about two or three years. And then we discovered that she had fibrocystic breast disease. And so we put her on some iodine. Within a few weeks, she came back in and she said, you know, I'm starting to have increased facial hair. She said, I'm starting to have increased hair on my arms, my legs. She said, I think the testosterone is kicking in in high gear. And we checked her out. And sure enough, you know, the tissues were all starting to show the evidence of testosterone. I mm -hmm. spoke to gynecologists about this, and they mm -hmm. sat there and said, it looks like her testosterone receptors are all of a sudden activating. What have you done different? And I said, we just started her on iodine. And it turns out that iodine increases the sensitivity of the human body to testosterone. 
especially in women. And so she became more sensitive to the testosterone. Today, she takes two milligrams of testosterone every other day, and that's mm -hmm. enough to take care of giving her a sex drive. So the receptors weren't even able to receive the testosterone she's taking, so she could just take high, high levels, and it was... That's right. Oh, and we, wow. saw, we saw the same thing with uh, the receptors to insulin. One of my patients uh, came in with a blood sugar of over 600, and uh, we put her on uh, insulin and so on and so on. But when we, during the physical, we discovered she had fibrocystic breast disease and put her on iodine, and she came back in a few weeks later and we checked her blood sugar and her blood sugar was normal. And I sat there and said, that is wonderful, a normal blood sugar. How much insulin are you now taking to control your sugars with? She said, I'm not taking any insulin. She said, ever since you put me on iodine, I have not had to take any insulin for control of sugar and my sugars have all been normal. The insulin receptors became normal in the presence of taking iodine. That's amazing. I, I, read, I read many stories of people sharing that same experience. Yes. Um, and so it, it, and this happens to just about all the different hormones in the body. Every hormone receptor has got tyrosine on the receptor. And when you add iodine to that receptor or to tyrosine, the receptors become more sensitive to the hormones that attach there. That's amazing. That's why people will sit there and say, I take a little bit of iodine, I don't feel you know, anything, but they, well, when you get them up to 50 milligrams, all of a sudden they say, man, everything seems to be clicking and I'm doing so much better. What they're telling you is, is that all of my hormones are starting to work like they're supposed to. Okay. One thing is, I mean, I know we've piqued curiosity and, you know, I was talking to a good friend last night and, and I, was, I was telling her that I was going to interview you and we were talking a little bit about iodine and she said, I, I kind of played with it a little bit and then I got some detox symptoms and I backed away. So I really want people, I mean, iodine deficiency is, is, is at an epidemic level. I want people to be educated about it. Number one, how do they find out more about you. So can you give your, your website of where they can find out information about you? I have, uh, I have, we published a lot of papers on this and there is a website from a company that does iodine testing. Okay. And they've got all my research papers available on their website and it's called Hakala. It's, it's www.hakala.com. H-A-K-A-L-A labs.com. If you go there, you can uh, look at the research articles that have been published at, on iodine. And we published probably a total of about 25 papers now. And you can download those papers and look at them care and read them more carefully. But it's hakalalabs.com. Okay, and then I know you have your own personal, um, your, your family practice website. Right, right. So uh, you can just call my office and my secretary can give you that information. So Okay, and I'll put, we're going to put that in the podcast notes as well. Um, 
because definitely please, you know, let this, let this pique your interest and then start reading everything you can. Um, Dr. Fletches is a pioneer in iodine research. And so, I mean, you know, read his publications, become educated, could really, really change your health. I, I know I, I'm kind of guilty of it. Um, I, I've done like little minute amounts of iodine supplementation. And then after getting introduced to you and your work, um, I've started um, having it really as part of my uh, daily life. And the, the one thing that's showing up for me is, um, which was sort of unexpected, is uh, there's a sort of peace of mind and an elevated mood um, that I'm really enjoying. So that's I'm, right. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Now, and, um, a lot of women like yourself have, mm -hmm. uh, in this, in my medical practice, have uh, been taking iodine and then they, got pregnant uh, during the taking of iodine. And we suggested to them that during pregnancy, you take the same amount of iodine as if you were a Japanese individual. Mm -hmm. In Japan, they're taking 13.8 milligrams of iodine per day. We recommend that they take 12.5 uh, milligram per day. That's the dosing of the iodine pills that are on the market. And Hakala Research or Hakala Labs makes a iodine pill. What is interesting is, is that you need iodine to stimulate development of a high IQ baby. Mm. We have got in this practice over 55 children that have now been born where the mothers took iodine through the pregnancies, and all these children are all high IQ babies. In fact, in fact, we just had a set of triplets that were born in Wyoming. And among those children, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the three, they were identical, three little girls, one, placent one placenta, three separate cords coming off the placenta. Wow. All three girls were identical. What's interesting is, is that these little girls are now six months old and the middle one can point a finger at her father and say, Dada. Wow. Then she takes her little finger and points at her mother and says, Mama. And she's only six months old. And that's, you know, and our oldest one in the practice is 17 years old. She's 17 years old. She's a senior in high school, and she's already finished two years of college, and she's making straight A's. Well, I mean, there you go. Everyone <laughs> wants a smart kid. We're, right? we're talking, we are talking about, you know, uh, the ability to have a smart child. We've kind of left it as an accident of mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. What, what we have now discovered is, is that if you take iodine through a pregnancy, that you can almost guarantee that you will end up with a baby that's a high IQ baby. We're talking, if normal IQ is between 130 and 90, these children have IQs of about 150. And so they're on the genius side. They're not menses, but they're genius. And they're turning out to be normal children that love to go out and play and so on and so on. But don't go up against them for, for anything that's mental mm -hmm, work. Mm -hmm. These kids will pound the daylights out of you. I mean, they, I love it. they're just that intelligent. That so is awesome. They're um, 
They're all turning well, into I mean, worms and so on and so on, you know? Gosh, that's enough to get the, the iodine flying off the shelf of people, um, you know, uh, just the possibility of being able to influence the intelligence of your child instead of it just being a genetic crapshoot as, as we um, often think of it as. That's right. That's right. It's, um, no longer, it's no longer a crapshoot. It's now we can do it at will. In fact, I just got back from a um, uh, from down in Ecuador, and I met a German uh, lady down there who uh, had her had a little boy in Hamburg, uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. And the German government is making sure that all women who are pregnant are getting a prenatal vitamin that's high in iodine, and they're doing all sorts of measurements on these children. And these kids are all turning out to be the high IQ type children. The German government is actively being involved in trying to develop a, the whole next generation of children as high IQ children. And she said, she called her doctor back in Hamburg once she found out the information I gave her. She called her doctor back in Hamburg and said, by the way, was there any iodine in my prenatal vitamin? He said, Yes, your prenatal vitamins were loaded with iodine because we're trying to influence the next generation of German children. What are, okay, that's, yes. I, I, I already remember with the foreign exchange German students, they were pretty smart anyway. They would definitely kick our butt in, um, in math and science, but all right, so we'll, we'll uh, have to look out for that and, and be competitive in that way of helping our children, not just for intelligence, but I mean, so many things, there's so many cancers and different things that we could protect um, ourselves from. And I know people are saying, once again, why is this information not, um, you know, why aren't there more research studies? Why aren't there this? I mean, I, I'm just gonna simplify it. There's no money in iodine. Um, Right, Dr. Fletcher, right. there's just no money in it. That's right. And yet it's very inexpensive. Yes. And the average individual can get involved with taking iodine. And iodine, as you continue to age, iodine as you age helps to protect you from cancer and heart disease. Iodine during pregnancy helps to generate a child that comes out as a high IQ child. And so, you know, uh, the things that iodine can do, and iodine can help make your life go a lot easier, especially when you become a teenage female and your hormones from your ovaries are just driving you nuts. Mm -hmm. You start taking iodine and your hormones all of a sudden calm down and the ovaries start behaving like they're supposed to. And so you can literally knock out PMS very quickly with the use of iodine during, uh, during the teenage years. I think that's wonderful because I know so many teens, it, it's already just a really hard transitional phase for the teens and their families. And if, right. if and something healthy could be done instead of putting your teenage daughter on birth control pills and then having her have, you know, hormonal imbalances later in life. You got it. You got it. Yeah. Dr. Fletcher, thank you so much. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to ask you now, can we have a part two of this conversation at a later date? I just, um, you're, you're so knowledgeable and you have so much wisdom to share. I'd love to pick your brain a little bit more. Yeah, we can do that. And also my, we could maybe talk about boron.
Yes, yes. Um, because you need boron to stop you from developing arthritis, and also you need boron to stop you from getting osteoporosis, and you need boron to help you make the steroids that are necessary from the adrenals and the ovaries. It sounds unsexy, boron, but it actually is very sexy and very exciting once you know more about it. So uh, let's please have that as a, a part two. Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate welcome. your time. Thank you. And please, um, you know, look at our podcast notes to learn more about Dr. Fletches and his practice and the lab that he mentioned. It'll all be in there. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Fletches. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step, all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.